Are Opportunity Zone funds having success raising enough capital? Will capital raising reach federal government estimates? Find out why one prominent tax accountant thinks so. Next on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast, the weekly show where we interview Opportunity Zones professionals and experts from fund managers to tax advisors, from real estate developers to venture capitalists. If it impacts Opportunity Zones or the Opportunity Funds industry, we cover it here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Atkinson. Novogratik is a top 50 national accounting firm and has emerged as a prominent thought leader in the Opportunity Zone space over the last several years. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Novogratik's managing partner, Michael Novogratik. Michael has over 30 years of experience specializing in affordable housing, historic preservation, and renewable energy, with a focus on real estate taxation and accounting. He is also the author of several real estate tax books, including the Novogratik Opportunity Zones Handbook, and he is also host of the popular Tax Credit Tuesday podcast. Today, Michael joins us from his office in San Francisco. Michael, thank you for taking the time to speak with me today, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jimmy. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast and to be a guest. It's my honor. Oh, it's a pleasure is all mine, Michael. I've learned a lot from Novogratik, and in particular, your Novogratik Opportunity Zone Resource Center over the past year and a half since I started my site and, and my podcast. You've been a great educational resource for me personally, and for many of our listeners, I'm sure as well. So, so thank you. Um, to start us off, I want to talk about some research that your firm has done in the qualified opportunity fund industry. You have a list of several hundred opportunity zone funds that are actively raising capital from outside investors. Can you tell me about your opportunity funds capital raising survey? Uh, what data have you been able to glean from that thus far? Great. Yeah, thank you. It is something that uh, is a bit of a labor of love and that we're, tr- we're tracking opportunity funds as best we can uh, in terms of the capital that they've raised and how much they want to raise, first of all, and how much they've raised, as well as what geographies and investment types that they're looking to invest in. And as we further this research, we're trying to get more and more detail on the various funds. Uh, But the survey of the funds are those funds that have publicly available information or have volunteered their information to us. And it's a survey of funds that are out there seeking to raise money from third-party investors. So the Opportunity Zones incentive uh, is an incentive that can be used by proprietary private funds. We are not raising capital from third-party investors. And the whole group of funds that are out there that are private funds, proprietary funds aren't part of our survey. So our survey is a subset of all the capital that's been raised. Our survey is of those who are out there seeking to raise money from third-party investors. And like I say, it's uh, either they voluntarily report it to us or we find it through public sources. But with that said, the funds that we're tracking has grown to 346 funds. And those 346 funds have targeted capital raises, I like to say aspirational capital raises, of nearly $67 billion. Now, we don't expect them to raise all those funds, raise all the $67 billion, but uh, they've definitely been formed and they're seeking to raise that much. But of that, that's how much we know is out there at a minimum and the dollar numbers are seeking to raise. Uh, But of those 346 funds, we actually have capital raising 
information is how much money they've raised on 164 of those funds. Many of those funds haven't disclosed publicly how much capital they've raised and haven't disclosed to us the capital they've raised. But, I, but the interesting thing about the 164 funds that we have information on, they report having raised nearly $4 billion, $3.9 billion roughly so far. And this survey is a rolling survey. So I know we basically are updating various funds periodically. So it's $3.9 billion, nearly $4 billion. And some of your listeners might be thinking, well, how does that $4 billion, nearly $4 billion compare? Well, the three, you know, this $3.9 billion is only part of what's been raised because it doesn't have private and proprietary funds. But the initial estimate by the Joint Committee on Taxation, as well as by the Office of Management and Budget, in terms of how much capital opportunity zone incentives would raise, was about eight to ten billion a year, and if you think about the fact that the incentive was only really operational since the summer of 2018, the fact that we are already have documented 3.9 billion, knowing the number is much higher right now, shows me that we're on pace to be at greater than eight to ten billion uh, a year. Yeah, that is impressive. It's a 3.9 billion dollar site is based on just a little more than half of the the funds that are publicly seeking capital and not to mention private funds at all. Uh, what, what, what date is that number right. from? So it's a rolling survey. So it's, uh, it's basically some funds we haven't heard from for a few months and some funds we've heard, um, heard from as recently as yesterday. So it's a rolling survey. So as a practical matter, at any one point in time, the number is actually larger <laughs> because we don't have everyone through a certain date. So it's an ever sort of expanding survey. But I would also note that it's interesting to look at the 3.9 billion and then say, well, what investment types is it going into? Uh, and when you think about investment types, you think residential, commercial. Uh, you know, there's a big push within the Opportunity Zone community to invest in operating businesses. And then there's also, you can think hospitality or renewable energy. And clearly, the, the favorite right now for the uh, investors is residential. Uh, of the funds that we, you know, have capital raising information on, roughly three quarters, about 75% of the funds are going to invest in multiple investment types. About 25% are going to invest uh, in only one investment type. And of those that are focused on a singular investment type, more than half are focusing on residential only. And then maybe 30 to 40% are focused on commercial only and operating businesses, hospitality renewables make up the rest. But if you look at all the funds that have raised, we have capital raising information on, three quarters plan to invest at least some dollars in residential. And the unfortunate part right now, I think, for the opportunity zone incentive is operating businesses only make up about 1% to 2% of that capital already raised. So operating businesses are definitely trailing. Real estate is leading by a large measure. And in part, that's due to regulatory issues and all the rest. But we don't need to dig digress into all those issues, but it is it's a disappointing how much how little is reported being raised for operating businesses and definitely something that you know warrants more attention. Oh, I agree with you there. I I I I I believe that you're hopeful and I know I'm hopeful that that number will climb in the in the years ahead as the regulations become a little bit more clear as operating business investors kind of take hold of the program a little bit more. There's there's a, a little bit there's a lot more muscle memory or inertia in the real estate asset class to kind of 
follow along a federal program or incentives such as this, whereas this is kind of a new beast for operating business investors. I, I will also note, though, that the that in some ways, much of your commercial investment is indirectly an operating business investment. So to the extent that you know, the, there's a large portion of the capital is focused on commercial development in opportunity zones. And a lot of that commercial obviously will be occupied by operating businesses. So they'll be able to provide an indirect subsidy by having you know, better facilities and such to locate their businesses. And it may be also a case of the commercial property has to be renovated or built prior to the operating business coming in. So it's not that much of a surprise that you would see a bit of a lag. I wouldn't have thought this much of a lag, but there is a lag aspect to it as well. Right. A lag aspect as the infrastructure gets built is one way to think about it, I suppose. Yeah. Have you noticed any trend yet of more funds flowing into operating business or is it too early to, to tell us so far? You know, I think it's really uh, too early to tell. But I will say one other part of the data that I found interesting from a geography perspective is that there are a reasonable number of funds that are focused on single states or single cities. And if you look at the single states, those funds that are focused on a single state, you know, Arkansas you know, has funds that have already raised $50 million for the state of Arkansas, Maine, $30 million for the investments in the state of Maine. So, and then when you look at single cities, uh, you know, the, you, to no surprise, New York and Los Angeles lead the pack. But then you have Indianapolis with nearly $50 million fund of equity raised. You have Nashville. So you definitely have cities that aren't the big urban cores that you think about in terms of where there's a fear that all the operational capital is going to go to the urban cores. Uh, it's nice to see some of these uh, other areas getting funds focused on them and successfully raising capital. Yeah, it's good to see some capital flowing into some of these secondary and tertiary markets. I agree. And if I understand correctly, I, I believe this is just a survey of capital that has been raised by the fund. Do you have any data on capital that's been deployed into Opportunity Zones so far? Yeah, we do not have. But this is all focused on the capital raised or they're trying to raise. So the $3.9 billion is the capital that's been raised, and the geographies that I share with you are what they, as part of their raising capital, said they were going to be investing in the areas. But the flip side of that, where the, the actual capital being invested in the businesses or in the real estate, we do not have that data. Okay, good. So, But overall, $3.9 billion raised as of... We're recording this on November 21st, 2019, and likely that number is much, much higher than that uh, because, as you mentioned, it's a rolling survey, and we're, you're only surveying a subset of a subset of the, the total pie. That's correct. Uh, let's back up for a minute, Michael. I want to see if you can tell us a little bit about your career background, and if you could also tell us about Novogratic and the types of clients that it serves. Yeah, I, we recently celebrated our 30-year anniversary. Congratulations. Uh, on October 17th, 1989. Thank you. Uh, we were founded on October 17th, 1989. I was with another, uh, I was with a major accounting firm, and I left the major accounting firm and formed Novogratic on October 17th. And if you're a baseball fan, uh, October 17th, 1989 was the day of the San Francisco earthquake. I was at the Giants. A's baseball game. It was a World Series game. 
ready for the first pitch, and then there was an earthquake. So it was a rather uh, inauspicious beginning to the firm for there to be this natural disaster starting in San Francisco. Uh, but we, we kicked off on October 17th of 89, and we've been focused on affordable housing, community development, historic preservation, renewable energy ever since. We're an accounting firm. We focus on the, the, the tax and audit needs and projection forecasting needs of our clients. And then along the way, we've layered in evaluation arm, and we're, we're very much a niche uh, firm that kind of uh, operates by figuring that if we do good, we'll do well. And who are the types of clients that you serve? Yeah, we, uh, we're very much project-based in the sense that or business-based and that our sort of core clients are, if you're uh, out there building affordable housing, you've got a joint venture partnership, the partnership is our sort of core client. If you're out there uh, investing and if you're out there doing community investment work, community development work, and you say you're a new market tax credit awardee and you have a community development entity, then that community development entity would be our sort of key client as well as some of the businesses they lend to. Historic preservation, you know, the properties, uh, the partnerships that own the properties would be our core client. So I'd say the core clients are all the, the projects, the entities that own projects or businesses. And then obviously the various sponsors, the developers end up becoming clients, as well as the investors uh, in the developments and then the projects and then the investments. So we, we sort of touch all aspects of the, you know, if you're, if you're involved in these areas, there's a reasonable chance that, uh, you know, you or uh, someone you're working with is a client. Gotcha. So taking that to the opportunity zones space now, your types of clients might be the project developer. It might also be the qualified opportunity fund or fund sponsor, but it could also be the uh, individual investors, the limited partners in the fund as well. Is that is that correct? That's right. I'd say our core clients are going to be the opportunity funds themselves, as well as the qualified opportunities on businesses. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit now about the slew of legislation that's been introduced to Congress in recent weeks surrounding the Opportunity Zone program. Can you speak about some of those proposals that uh, have hit the floor recently? Any, any that have caught your eye that you think might gain some momentum in the coming weeks and months? Yeah, no, there's definitely uh, been a reasonable amount of uh, legislation introduced. Uh, most notably, there was a bill by uh, ranking uh, member of the Senate Finance Committee, uh, Ron Wyden, Senator Ron Wyden introduced a bill uh, to uh, the title of the bill is the is the uh, Reporting and Reform Act, Opportunity Zone Reporting and Reform Act, and and that's the bill. There's been a number of bills that would put tweaks and such with respect to Opportunity Zones, but the Wyden bill is probably the one that's gotten the most amount of attention uh, over the last uh, week or so, and there is a companion bill that was introduced uh, by. Uh, Majority Whip Clyburn in the House representatives as well. That was, uh, you know, several days after the Wyden bill was introduced. And, you know, the Wyden bill sort of directionally does a lot of good things, things that I think uh, has a lot of good provisions that many in the Opportunity Zone space support. Uh, Most notably, his bill does provide for uh, reporting uh, on uh, investments in opportunity zones and the investments that opportunity zones are making in in uh, opportunity zone businesses. I think everyone within the opportunity zone community supports reporting. You know, Senator Tim Scott, 
and uh, Senator Cory Booker, sort of the, the founders, if you will, uh, of the uh, Opportunities and Concept in the Senate. They've already themselves introduced a reporting bill. So that part of the bill, I think, is pretty uh, straightforward and has a lot of support. Um, but there's also a number of provisions uh, in the bill that I think are designed to be sort of anti-abuse type provisions or provisions to try to narrow how the Opportunity Zone Incentive can work. Uh, and once again, directionally, some of those are provisions, most of those are provisions that directionally uh, most in the Opportunity Zone community support. Uh, but there are parts of it that uh, go a little farther than most in the community think they should go. Uh, most notably, there are several provisions that are retroactive to the date of enactment. So we definitely look at that and say any tax legislation that gets introduced should be prospective only. It shouldn't be retroactive. When you have someone investing in a community development incentive, uh, expecting a certain benefit, uh, they should get that benefit. They shouldn't be retroactively denied that benefit. Uh, and if something like that did happen, it would have repercussions beyond just opportunity zones because any tax incentive, you would then wonder if Congress is going to take that one away too in some future. So I think that part of it is the one that you know is really a challenge. There's another part in there where it limits the ability to invest in residential rental housing to that you know would really be adverse to uh, helping develop opportunity zones and giving them the opportunity to have housing built there as well as uh, other types of businesses be supportive. But beyond that, I think there's a lot in there that's sort of directionally good. It's just a question now of seeing what Congress might be able to do. As a practical matter, in the broader spectrum, it's unclear that if, the, if Congress would have been a tax bill, and if they do pass a tax bill, the tax bill might be just dealing with extenders. And if, it go, and if they pass a tax bill and it deals with more than what are commonly called as tax extenders, then they have to deal with a number of other potential tax provisions. And the question just would become, if they do pass a tax bill, would it have to have to carry anything with respect to opportunity zones? And like I said, that remains to be seen. I think the retroactive provisions wouldn't be included, but I think directionally, some of these other provisions could be included. Right. I, I agree with you. I think the retroactive revisions uh, that would apply to anyone who's already, you know, got skin in the game, I think that would set a very bad precedent. And I, I hope we don't see any of that uh, yeah. come about. Obviously, there's, there's a, a great demand for transparency and reporting from just about everybody involved with Opportunity Zones and, and, and the federal government and both sides of the aisle want to see more, more transparency and reporting. Um, the IRS recently released a a beefed up form 8996 that asks for a little bit more data, some census tract level reporting. There's obviously a lot of legislation being introduced to the Congress. What would you like to see happen though, Michael, if, if, if you had a magic wand and could, could solve our reporting uh, conundrum of how to actually receive the data and then report the data, what do you think is the best solution? Well, thank you. Uh, we are, commenting on for on the uh, IRS the recent IRS form that asked for information enhanced reporting it's the form that the uh, crop opportunity fund files uh, with their return and we will be submitting our comments uh, early next week as you know we host an opportunity zones working group and our working group's actually been around since uh, early since late 2016 early 2017 you know, 12 months before the 
bill was actually enacted and the Opportunity Zones Working Group uh, organizes comments and tries to be a technical support uh, for Congress and for others uh, to ensure that the reporting, the drafting of legislation and the rest is consistent and, and sort of makes sense and, and will we'll direct uh, the incentive and the directions that we all think it should go for the most community good. And we will be submitting comments on the form. Uh, I think there's a little bit more data collection they can gather uh, on the form. So we'll be recommending a, a handful of additional data points. But unfortunately, you know, the IRS and Treasury believe they can only ask for information related to determining compliance for tax law purposes. And they can't ask for information needed to evaluate the uh, ultimate benefits uh, of the uh, incentive. Um, we are also going to put some, we think there's additional compliance questions that the uh, IRS should ask. But from a reporting perspective, uh, if, if Congress came to me and said, what should we do here? Uh, I would say, let's look at what we've done in other places and try to do something similar to what we've done in other places so we don't reinvent the wheel. And when you think about opportunity zones and opportunities on reporting and you think, well, Mike, what have we done in other places? I would say all you have to do is look to the new market tax credit. The new market tax credit is administered by the CDFI fund. The CDFI fund has a system in place where the entities themselves have to report on an annual basis. Um, and I would say we should basically take the opportunity zones uh, incentive and have the CDFI fund create a series of reporting and use the existing systems and such that they have in place and then collect data on an annual basis from opportunity funds. And they already have a lot of that infrastructure in place. So as you mentioned, they wouldn't have to reinvent the wheel. I think that makes a lot of sense. They already have, uh, they're already set up to do a lot of this work anyway, just expand their department a little bit more and we can get some third-party transparent data reporting done. I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I would also increase their budget <laughs> so they have the uh, staffing to handle that. But since so much of it is they already have in place, it's not the cost to them of incorporating this in isn't nearly what it would be if you created something out of whole cloth. Yep. No, that makes perfect sense. This concludes part one of my two-part conversation with Michael Novogratik. Please join us for part two when we discuss how different real estate tax credits can be paired with Opportunity Zones and options for 1031 investors who want to get into qualified opportunity funds. Thank you. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by the Opportunity Database. Visit opportunitydb.com to learn more about Opportunity Zones and Opportunity Zone Fund Investing. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and read more about today's guest in the show notes by visiting opportunitydb.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.